0: Ghosts.
1: Hello, Ghostbusters.
0: They're real.
1: You do? You have?
0: They're here. We got one! Ghostbusters.
1: Hey, anybody see a ghost?
0: They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. <gasps> They're armed. dangerous.
1: Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. All right, that's bad. Okay, all right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon.
0: They're professionals.
1: Oh, I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. You see it?
0: They're all that stands between you and the end of the world. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. Real Wrath of God type stuff. Zach. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky.
1: Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria! Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. you want this body? Is this a trick question? <laughs> Got your stick? Hold him
0: up.
1: Smoke him. him hard. Ready.
0: Ghostbusters. Starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis. Coming to save the world.
1: Who's gonna call?
0: Ghostbusters.
1: We came, we saw, we kicked it... welcome to Ticket Stubs and Cassette Tapes. Today we're going to be discussing Ghostbusters from 1984, the original one. I'm Andy, I'm your host, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Chad. How you doing, Chad? Pretty good. Alright, so the first thing that uh, I sort of wanted to jump into was um, the second weekend box office results for Ghostbusters Afterlife. And we'll sort of get Chad's thoughts on Ghostbusters Afterlife. We saw it together. Um, And, you know, we'll sort of follow up on that. We did an episode on that last week. But, um, you know, I think it'll be helpful to get, you know, somebody else's opinion on the movie and sort of follow up with it here and see how it's doing. Um, In its second weekend, Afterlife made domestically 24 million dollars that's a 45 percent drop off uh, from where it came in last weekend now for those of you who you know probably don't know much about box office results when a movie has its second weekend you know it, it uh, typically considers anywhere between 50 and 60 percent uh, drop off to be uh, a success anything above 60 percent It's typically, you know, you sort of get concerned about the movie and its longevity. Anything below uh, 50% is considered a huge win. And with this movie hitting a 45% drop off, that's pretty remarkable. Now it was, you do have to consider it's Thanksgiving weekend, which I mentioned is, uh, it's a pretty big weekend for movies. But you also have to understand that this movie came up against Encanto, which is a Disney animated film. That movie, I mean, you could probably guess, you know, being produced by Disney, had a $120 million budget, and it basically split the box office on its first weekend with Ghostbusters Afterlife, which was in its second weekend. And you can chalk that up as a huge win for Sony. Um, So much so that I did want to mention, you can find in the news, I think... um, Variety I believe uh, originally published this but Jason Rotman and Gil Kenna were signed to a production deal with Do- with uh Sony this week you know they they didn't directly say what that was for but it's pretty easy to determine if you're reading between the lines here where that's going I did also want to mention some uh comments that Jason Rotman has made you know since he's been going around uh you know sort of selling this movie and uh you know marketing you know he's made some comments about the future of the ghostbusters franchise uh, which i thought were interesting there's been a few uh reporters who have asked him you know about very specific things from afterlife why didn't we see uh you know certain characters or or why didn't we see the ecto-1a you know and he's mentioned that he didn't want to get into it because he has plans going forward um just because, you know, he made the comment that just because certain things weren't a part of this specific movie, uh, that doesn't mean that they won't be a part of a future movie. So it's pretty exciting if you're a fan, if you liked this movie, uh, to, just to know that, you know, we probably at least may possibly have a future here. Chad, what do, uh, what do you sort of think about this? I mean, I know that you are somebody that we've spoken before about a sequels and, and you sort of seemed all for it. I mean, what do you think about Ghostbusters Afterlife success and and maybe you know what that could mean for the future?
0: I'm really excited about it. Um, I've always loved Ghostbusters. I, I watched it um, when I was little. I had all the toys. Uh, you know, watched Ghostbusters two, um, the animated series. I thought this this one was. Uh, a good continuation I'll say of that first story uh I liked Ghostbusters 2 um but I feel like this was more a maturing of that first storyline now I, I'll always think that the first one was you know the best as always but uh I really enjoyed the second one and I can't wait to see where they where they take um the characters in the future um one thing that uh, I am curious to see, and I hope they do address, is um, the uh, Egon's daughter. Right? We, she was never mentioned in the first one, so his family was, you know, never mentioned. Um, so I'm curious to see uh, if they explain, uh, you know, where where she was during this time, and uh, just his more of his backstory. So I'm excited for the franchise and I hope they can continue and I hope there's a lot of different movies that come out. I would also like to see some uh some series, some shows, maybe live action series, uh that, that delves more into the into the universe. So I'm excited for the future. I think it's gonna be great.
1: Yeah, I mean I I agree with everything you're saying. Um kinda to what you were pointing to about um you know, some of the questions that we have. Uh, following this movie um, you know when you come out of this movie I think that most Ghostbusters fans um, you know if you just by gauging sort of the online uh, opinion right now uh, via Rotten Tomatoes or you can watch several reviews of this movie by by fans uh, I think everybody came out of the theater just a little overwhelmed by the movie and how you know good and and a word i used a lot last week was respectful and how respectful and, and sort of exciting this movie was and i don't think that i don't think that it was just exciting from the point of view of this movie alone i think it was exciting because you sort of got the idea that this is this is not just you know a book ending a story this was sort of felt like it was kicking off a new story right And I think that there's, um, kind of like you, you mentioned there's questions left unanswered and, and, you know, one thing I wanted to sort of jump into here and, and we are going to get into the original Ghostbusters, but I did want to start off this, um, this show with sort of, you know, like I said, following up with afterlife and, and getting some more, you know, thoughts on it. Um, when you, when you watched the movie, Chad, I've, I know you've seen it a, a couple of times. Um, what sort of stood out to you, um, you know, anything in the movie, what sort of stood out to you uh, in terms of, you know, I really liked that or I thought that was a, a good decision? You know, what, what, what really comes to mind when, when I say that?
0: Well, so watching the original, one, of course it was set in New York City, um... And everything takes place there. I really liked. I I was sep- skeptical at first of the locale change, going out to the Midwest, out in the country, wide open fields. But I think it worked really well. Uh, I really enjoyed it. the The small town feel with uh, the complete new uh, cast of characters. Uh, so I was I was pleased with that, as well as. Uh, You know, I was a little unsure, because, you know, being a sequel, obviously you want to see the the original characters, Uh, and you only got just a a short amount of them in the end. And I was skeptical of that as well, but um, I really like the new characters, and uh, I can't wait to see, uh, you know, see their stories expand. And I I will say this, I I do like how, hopefully, the way they're setting this up with uh, Winston uh, taking a, a larger role in this i think that would be perfect um so yeah i was uh pleasantly surprised with the new locale and the new characters and i think it worked out really well
1: yeah and one thing that i sort of touched on last week uh you know was the the cameos of the the original characters and you know i've been thinking a lot about that and and I've seen the movie uh, four times now. So, uh, you know, you and I saw it twice. Mm -hmm. I took uh, my nephew to see it. And then um, over the Thanksgiving weekend, my brother-in-law, he had heard um, very good things about it from other people. So he wanted to go see it. So we went back with him. And one thing that I, I think through my last viewing that I really noticed was that if you watch those post-credit scenes um not not so much the very last one with with the firehouse but uh the one with uh peter and dana and then the one with janine and and winston it it's becoming clear to me that those scenes were shot with the intention of being in the actual movie and not post-credits I think that on the cutting room floor, there are, there are some more of that kind of stuff. And what I think happened was a decision was made somewhere along the way that the impact of the original character showing up at the very end of the movie to sort of save the day, that that was sort of a decision that was made because it, it thought I'm sure they thought it would carry more weight. I could be way off. But those two scenes, it just feels like those were shot to be in the actual movie. I'm sure we'll see something about it come out. Mm -hmm. Um, I've actually heard from other people who have sort of the same theory. Um, So I do think the originals were going to be in this more, and then it was just decided it would be a little bit more of an impact for them to come in at the end. Now, I will say, if they move forward, and I I think – you know, at this point, it's pretty easy to assume that they are going to move forward. I mean, you don't sign the two people who wrote this film to a new deal, a new production deal, if you're not. You know, they did that for a reason. Um, so I think they are going to move forward with with uh, at, at least a sequel, another sequel. Um, kind of like you were saying with with Winston. I'm very um, interested to see. You know, is it just going to be Winston, or is it going to be Ray and Peter? Now, I think there's like a 99% chance that Bill Murray is never going to make another Ghostbusters movie, just because it sort of took, you know, what, 30 some odd years to get him back into this one. I know he was in the the reboot, but, you know, it was just a very small cameo and it wasn't his original character, obviously. But um, maybe, maybe you could, but I think it would make sense to bring Ray back, you know, and you know Dan Will Dan uh, Ackroyd has to be willing oh, to absolutely. do that. Um, you know he's the biggest. You know even uh, this Jason is just Reitman, I
0: feel like, right?
1: Right. I mean, he. That's what Jason Reitman. If you watch some interviews with him, you know, they. You know, he's been asked like, how difficult was it to get, you know, the original characters back? And he said, you know, Ackroyd was ready from the word go. Like he didn't. <laughs> he didn't even need to read the script. He was just he was ready. So uh, I think it would be uh cool to see see more than just Winston even though I think Winston would be you know a good character especially the way they wrote him in this new movie I mean he's he could be not only a a leader of some sorts but a financier mm-hmm. <laughs> of the ghostbusters I mean it it was made clear in the post credits that he bought the firehouse back and you know he he's got the Ecto-1 back in it so I mean he did that for a reason but um yeah, I'm, I mean, I I, I do agree. I, I think that the impact of the um, original Ghostbusters coming in at the, at the very end sort of... Uh, it sort of made it okay in my mind, I guess, with them not being in it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, when I'm sort of pointing to what you were saying again, I, I, and this is what I mentioned in last week's episode, it really, it does make me appreciate the new characters even more looking back at the movie now having seen it because you know that was a huge risk in, in my mind um, on Jason Rotman's part because again as I mentioned before if if we don't love the new characters and if we're not on their side then the, the end of that movie doesn't work it's nothing but it'll be it really will be nothing but fan service at that point um, so uh, again, I think it was just bold choices that paid off for Jason Reitman. Um, what were your your thoughts on um, uh, Egon in this film and sort of how they, they utilized him and wrote, wrote that character into this story? I
0: liked it. Um, and this is probably not going to be a popular opinion. I, I feel like there were times that some of the things that they portrayed Egon doing was, I, I feel like, a little bit out of character maybe Uh, and I love the character Egon and I love the movie Um, I feel like he was a little bit more playful um, I guess in ghost form than uh, his character in the other movies where he's very straight laced, straightforward no nonsense um, all about the work, all about the science you're talking about
1: when he's in uh, like pure ghost form right? like when he's, he's just invisible right yeah I got you,
0: so I felt like there was a few times he was a little bit more playful um and i, I felt like there was a little bit out of character but I, I it didn't bother me um I really liked the way they they wrote his character uh and uh his his storyline. Uh, I loved the beginning of the movie um where it focused on uh you know what he was doing and um you know all the things he was building and setting up. Uh, I thought it was great. I thought I felt like that was uh, uh, in character. Uh, I did want to go back to one thing. Uh, you're Talking about how you felt like the two after-credit scenes uh, were part of the movie, and uh, maybe the original characters would have been in it more. Um, I felt like um, you know i i'm i'm the kind of person that i i if it's a good movie i enjoy a three four hour movie that's not going to bother me but i know not everybody's like that so i'm sure part of that too was you know that we're clocking in at two hours and four minutes with afterlife and i'm sure he didn't want to you know i guess for a lack of a better term wear out his welcome with this uh this this next outing in this movie so he had to trim it down and I'll be honest, with all the footage they've got in the movie, I couldn't imagine cutting anything out of that, right? Right. I felt like everything flowed very well. Everything explained everything well. So as much as I would want to see more of the original Ghostbusters, um, I couldn't imagine them cutting out any of that story just to fit them in. I feel like uh, it. the whole story flowed well.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um Yeah, I mean, kind of going back to what you were saying about you know Egon and the and the some of it being a tad bit out of character. I think you said one thing in there that uh, is a good point. Uh, You you sort of mentioned that it it didn't really take you out of the movie at all, and I think that's one thing that for me is so important. Mm -hmm. This is, and I want to stress this. You know, I mentioned that I love this film, and I do. It's not a perfect movie, by any stretch of the imagination. It, it's not. Now, it's a very, very good movie. Uh, it's, it's a high quality film, especially when you look at a seventy-five million dollar budget. I mean, right. that's a lot of money. But in terms of, you know, in terms of the budget for a modern day Hollywood movie, it's really not a lot of money. Um, so it's a very well-made movie. Especially there are things given in all this,
0: the effects that they're using in this thing
1: right right there there are things in this movie that I could have you know I would have probably made some different choices um a couple of things that immediately come to mind are um the uh the jail scene, and I mentioned this before, but the jail scene you know with the you know who you're gonna call line. Mm-hmm. It was a, it, it was fine. It was a little on the nose for me. Um, I think that, you know, what really made me uh, notice it, for sure, was the last showing I was in. There was a couple of people around me. You heard a couple of groans during that scene. I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was. It was a little on the nose, and it's the fact that you can see it coming from a mile away. <laughs> you know, I,
0: so for me, that that didn't bother me. Uh, I thought it was a it was a good joke.
1: Um, uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 one of those things that it's uh it's not that's I think that's kind of what I'm saying is that it's not like takes you out of the film, you know. Yeah. It's not something that uh, is is re- you know it's just a really bad thing. The other thing I probably that comes to mind that I probably would have done a little differently is when the the keymaster and gatekeeper meet and there's that little patch of dialogue between them. Yeah, That, uh, it was a little too much. Um, I agree. If, if you remember in the original movie, you know, when, when Lewis, Tully, and Dana first meet, you know, up in her apartment as the uh, gatekeeper and the uh, key master, you know, he just kicks the door open and says, uh, I'm the key master, and she says, I'm the gatekeeper, in their normal voices, and then it, I mean, there is is a little bit of comedy in it, uh, in that scene, but in this one it was a little, um, it felt more like a modern day joke, I guess I could say, uh, especially with the -the over-the-top, you know, demonic voices, which when that was used uh, just with the mom, you know, with her saying there is no uh, mom, there is only Zul, or with Dana in the original one, that's got like a horror element to it. Yeah. But then all of a sudden they used it in more of a comedic type element. And uh, not to mention, I just didn't think that that was... You didn't really need that, you know? Um agree. So that probably for me <clears throat> are... You know, they're the only two things that really stick out for me. Yeah, um, that would
0: be the only thing that I would change in that movie. I thought it was yeah. great. Again, I, I love the movie. But that, that one was a little bit cheesy, that line. Um, when they meet, um, I probably wouldn't have put that in there, but, uh, yeah, it, it didn't ruin the movie, of 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 course, for me.
1: Right. Um, and yeah, and I, and I feel the same way. Um, you know, there was nothing in this movie that when I saw it, it just took me out of the film. You know, I was, I was pretty much every time I've seen this movie, I'm on board the whole way through, which mm-hmm. is you know, obviously a very good thing. Um, so let's see. Uh, so the, the last th- two things I kind of wanted to touch on with afterlife for you, and, and we can go, we'll, we'll talk more about afterlife, uh, you know, surely at, at later times, uh, especially as we keep sort of getting developing news on, you know, the box office and what, what may happen, um, in the future for the, for the franchise. Um, the last couple things I wanted to touch on, um, so the the way this movie was shot uh was really one of my I think one of my favorite things about the movie. Um you know, you mentioned early on you know the original two films are set in New York. Uh the the cartoon series is set in New York. The video games are set in New York. You know, even the reboot was set in New York. Ghostbusters has been a New York property. And when you think of Ghostbusters, you never really think about you know middle of nowhere Oklahoma so that was something to take into consideration I think the way that this film was shot though and again this kind of goes back to something uh, to, uh, to sort of what I mentioned last week it was something that I I didn't know I would like going in but I ended up really liking it um I don't know that I was skeptical of it but it was something that was like you know, that's, you know, that's new. You know, that's that's going to be a little different. But the way they did it, it, it like I mentioned, it felt very Spielbergian. Um, with the setting, with the way this this film was shot, the light, the lighting used in this movie. Uh, I mentioned, you know, any time, especially at night, they're in or around the farmhouse, it just looks great the The whole movie looks great, and it looks like a movie that you don't see much of anymore. You know, it felt very uh, classic old style, and um, that was something that you know, with with the the mines and the small town, with the, you know, the old diner. I mean, it was something that was cool. It was it was different, but it was very cool. What did you think about just the way this film was shot? I, I loved it.
0: I loved the cinematography um especially there were scenes you know you're uh out in the midwest with the large fields and they would show these uh huge landscape uh scenes you know over, overlooking the all the land the the rolling hills and the fields um i like that uh and like you said the lighting was great uh you know nothing looked like it was on a set I, I believe they they built that uh farmhouse uh you know for the movie and they shot the scenes in the farmhouse i it's, what i believe i heard
1: yeah they had two of them they had one uh so they built two full i believe two full-size farmhouses with and they were both exactly the same down to every last detail um one of them was built out on that farm the other one was built in a soundstage in canada near where they were shooting and they used the one on the uh if i'm if i'm correct they used the one in the sound stage for whenever they had to use cgi around it so like the end of the movie mm-hmm. um but the whole but i think if i if i have done my homework correctly most of it was shot with the with the actual farmhouse built on the farm which doesn't exist anymore by the way they tore it down but ah. um but yeah yeah um you know the, the the farmhouse. No matter whether it was on the soundstage or outside, when it was outside, uh, it was it was really cool. Uh, but that was I thought that ended up being a really neat addition.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned getting out of New York City. I, I think that, um, as I said, I was skeptical of that, but I thought they did an excellent job with it. But I think it also opens the door uh, within the franchise and this universe uh, for things that I, I believe I'd read they were wanting to do. Uh, earlier in other possible um, movies which is uh, franchises right ghostbuster franchises yep. so we could see totally different uh, characters in totally different locations all within the same universe so a lot of different spin-off opportunities too for you know series or other movies
1: yeah yeah exactly and you know i think obviously with the the cuts or the in uh, credit scene that we got it made it clear that for now, they're going back to New York, but yeah, like you said, that doesn't mean you can't see some different, um, different kinds of movies with different lo- landscapes and you know, different towns, different states. Um, yeah, I mean that that does add a whole new uh, dimension to uh, to the the franchise, which I think is really cool. Uh, one of the, one of the last things I wanted to touch on, so. I made it very clear last week, and I still feel 100% this way. One of my absolute favorite things about this movie, if not my favorite thing, is the score. Yeah. I, I said it before, and I'll say it again. This score was 10 times better than I ever could have hoped it would have been. From the opening Sony credits to the end of this movie, the score just blew me away. And I realized that... It utilized a lot of Elmer Bernstein, but if you really listen to it, it takes that original score into some interesting directions. Uh, Like I said, it it has times where it feels very um, John Williams-esque, feels like a Star Wars score. Um, And again, it's it's a score that sounds like it would be in a Steven Spielberg movie. Which is a good thing, in my in, you know in my mind because, you know some of his films have some of the best scores uh, of all time, but it 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 also feels very Ghostbusters. It's different and it's new, but it it really carries that Ghostbusters uh, you know sort of uh, swagger to it. it. It it has you know uh, it has you know certain sounds to it. And, again, the way it moves. And one of the interesting things that I found out this week, so that, that one of the first instruments you hear in the score, like in the beginning of the movie, and you, and it's also the f- first part of the score you hear in the original movie, is that little theremin mm-hmm. that's sort of moving up and down. It's, it's not an actual theremin. It's called something else. I forget what it's called. But it's, it's similar to a theremin. The lady who played that in the original score of the original movie came back to play it in this one. So when you hear the opening part of the score, you're hearing the same person playing it that played it in the original movie, which I thought was a really neat addition and something that probably a lot of people wouldn't pick up on, but that's pretty cool. Uh, what did you think about the score?
0: I, I think it, that was the last link in the chain that tied that movie and the original, uh, movie together. Um, that that score is so, I'll say iconic. Like you said, the theremin, um, along with uh, you know the, the little piano trill at the beginning. Yeah, uh, you could listen, you could hear just one second, just those two things, and you know instantly what that is. You know, you know what movie that's tied to. Um, so it's very unique and it's very. it 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 catches the ear and you know what it is so i I feel like like you said the the score to this one pulled uh, a lot from the original was heavily influenced had uh uh different elements um of the original they used and then built upon it for this one but it tied the two uh the original movies the one and two and then this one together really well uh with the music um i love the score uh, in, in listening to a couple of tracks, you know, you, you hear, uh, heavy, the original, and then it just builds on it. And like you said, it takes in a different direction, but it's a good direction. Um, so yeah. it just, it, it's the icing on the cake for me, for the, for this film that, um, it really, it makes it part of that Ghostbusters, uh, canon.
1: Yeah. And, uh, one thing that I noticed before the movie is, for those of you out there who uh collect vinyl movie scores um, the the vinyl score for Ghostbusters 2 came out this year um i I think it went on sale back in like June or something, but if you ordered it, you just got it like a month ago as I did. Um, I saw a lot of people got theirs as well. When I listened to that score. It has a little bit more of an epicness to it than the original score. It's, it is distinctly different from the original Bernstein score. The second score is conducted by uh, Randy Edelman. It's, it's, it's different, but it's a good score. It's a very good score in its own right. I noticed in this one, it all, it, now this one didn't take any cues from the Ghostbusters 2 score, but it had that same level of epicness to it uh but it actually built on that up to more of like a John Williams level, so I thought it was kind of cool that you know this score has the Bernstein in it along with some of the more epic themes of like a uh a John Williams score or what you heard in Ghostbusters too so this you know uh this 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 score of this movie uh really is it really is uh, something that is sort of built out of everything that we've heard, you know, in movie scores over the last, you know, what, 40 years. Um, you've heard a lot of different kind of scores in a lot of different kind of movies, whether it be uh, Star Wars or uh, E.T., Indiana Jones, Jaws. And I felt like this score, you know, it, it really almost took notes from all those kinds of movies with in terms of epicness but you also nailed the atmosphere uh which is one thing that i thought that this one did exceptionally well was it really nailed that bernstein atmosphere you know when when there was a scene in the movie that was supposed to be tense you know the score sort of portrayed that perfectly um and that's huge in a ghostbusters movie and that's something we'll get into um in our review of of the original movie um is there anything else uh that you you know offhand that you want to mention um about afterlife before we move on
0: i uh, no, uh, like i said i, I love the movie even though you know there was things that uh were not my favorite um i thought the movie they did an excellent job um jason rotman didn't uh you know did right by by uh everything he did in this movie uh, it was a great continuation of the story, and I think it's going to be a great opening to great possibilities in the future. Uh, a great first step in the franchise, which you know I think they were wanting to do years and years ago, and never could get everybody on the same page. But I think they've they've figured out how to do it now, and uh, I'm excited to see what's what's going to happen in the future.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, and like I said, we'll we'll come back to afterlife at some point. Um, down the road, especially you know, like I said, if we get these uh, sequels and kind of like you mentioned, or TV series or whatever that we get out of it uh, we'll come back to it, uh, you know, later Um, let's move into let's move into the original Ghostbusters uh, here for a second, so you know, I talked a a little bit about it um, last week of of the original movie, I didn't want to get into it too much because I knew that Uh, we would be doing this but you know starting off here with for just myself the original Ghostbusters like I said is is my favorite movie of all time um like I said Star Wars has always been my favorite franchise but the original Ghostbusters has always been my favorite movie it's number one it's got so many great players in it uh, from Bill Murray to Dan Aykroyd Harold Ramis Uh, Rick Moranis, uh, Sigourney Weaver, you know, Ivan Reitman, the director, you know, I love a lot of his work. So this movie was sort of right up my alley, I guess, um, in terms of, you know, something that, you know, I really should love, um, and and I do. Um, You know, like I said before, this movie nails the horror and the comedy and the science fiction. Um, You know, I know a lot of people, tend to really think that this movie people who you know haven't seen it in a long time or are not really fans tend to think that this movie is just some one-off comedy um but it's it's not at all it's it's you know from the opening of this movie with the librarian in the basement Mm you you are told pretty quickly that this is not just a comedy right um and and i think that's what i really love about it is it everything it tries to do it does successfully and that's pretty rare in, in movies, and I think that's why it is such a classic. I've loved this movie literally almost as far back as my memory goes. Um, you know, I've, I've always, you know, you, you know sort of came... I've always come back to this movie, you know. Uh, I probably watch this movie at least a few times a year. Uh, it's, it's just, it's always been my favorite. Uh, Chad, what, you know, I know you sort of opened with your history with Ghostbusters, but sort of you know talk about this movie and uh why it has stuck with you uh for as long as it has
0: yeah i mean the original one that is that is definitely that's my childhood um i remember uh i had a vhs copy that i i wore out i think i think i still have it somewhere watching it over and over just it just loved it um you know and like you said it's it's not really i mean it, it's There's funny parts in it, and it's funny, and there's comedians who are the stars. But I, I don't believe it was written um, with the primary focus of being a comedy. Uh, I think what it started out is you know Dan Aykroyd, and he has a. uh, It's well known that he has a a fascination with paranormal and uh, things like that. You know, in that uh, in that area, I think this was, uh, as I said before, his baby, and um, this was his opportunity to write something. Uh, in that genre of the paranormal, uh, and I believe uh, Hal Ramis too. So I think the comedy was, was um, a great touch to it, but I don't believe I don't feel that it was written as a comedy. I feel it was written more of a a story, a love letter to the to the paranormal. Um, and you know, like you said, that that opening scene of the librarian uh, it's, it's got the the eerie music and the the spookiness to it. Uh, you know, down in the, in the dark basement in the library and you see, uh, the, bo- the, the books, uh, float past, uh, the bookshelves. You see the cards, you know, all this, uh, the scariness, uh, to it, you know, that, that, nods to the horror where there's this entity there that is unseen, right? Um, and then, uh, with the cards start flying, the librarian is scared, she's running, and then she turns the corner, and there's the ghost. But the viewer of the movie never sees the ghost; we just see the effects of the
1: ghost. Right? It's, it's almost it's got like a Jaws, scary. Exactly. It's almost got like a Jaws feel to it, where you don't see the shark, but you know it's there.
0: Right. And it's just this eeriness to it. Uh, and then you open up with the with the theme song and the logo, right? Uh, and then once the main characters come in, there's some comedy to it. But uh, I I really love the the science fiction aspect to it. I'm not a huge horror fan, uh, but I love the way they treated this, uh, and I'm a huge comedy fan, uh, especially that group of uh, comedians. I love uh, everything they've done, so it's just it's it's got it all really. It's got action, the comedy, uh, the suspense, the you know the thriller, uh, cool soundtrack. It 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 just it checks all the boxes.
1: One thing that I think has always been unique about Ghostbusters is what you know. One thing that makes it different is, you know, this could have very easily been a superhero story almost, right. but it's not. It's it's these guys who were essentially exterminators, mm-hmm. um, and they just kind of fell into, you know, having to save the world. And you know, one thing that I've always thought was was Besides being funny, was very interesting is you see them out, you know, at the end of the movie, you see them out in the street and, you know, everybody's chanting Ghostbusters and they, you know, they put all their hands in together and, you know, like a, you know, sort of signifying a team effort. And they go into the hotel and or the, the apartment building and then it immediately cuts to them panting going up the stairs. And I think that's, that captures sort of the spirit of this movie pretty well right like yeah. it's it's serious and it has this whole cool sequence uh you know tension filled sequence where they arrive at the scene and you have them coming down the street in the ecto-1 and the sirens and everybody chanting ghostbusters it's one of the coolest most well known scenes in movie history and then it immediately cuts to you know they're <laughs> having trouble making it up the stairs which is there you know it's, yeah yeah it's it's it that's what i think we sort of mean when you say it blends these genres very well Mm -hmm. and you know i realize that you know in today's times if you look at more modern movies like marvel movies you know they have a lot of comedy in them and some of it's similar it's it's subtle comedy some of it's not but you know like i said what makes this movie so different is they're not superheroes yeah these they're, they they obviously had job openings and one guy showed up <laughs> and that was winston <laughs> so these guys aren't like regarded as these superheroes they're like i said they're just essentially exterminators yeah. and it's very obvious that not everybody even believes what they're doing is real um so it, it just it's such a unique story and that's really what makes it cool to me is there's nothing else like ghostbusters you know, you can watch a ton of, like, Star I'm a big Star Wars fan. Well, there's a lot of things that rip off Star Wars, you know, and sort of have similar kind of storylines with, you know, The Chosen One or, uh, you know, stuff like that, or, or stuff that's set in space and all that. But you can't really sit here and think of another movie that's similar to Ghostbusters. And that's what kind of what else makes it unique is that not only was it sort of a groundbreaking film at the time, it really hasn't been followed up on in terms of something that's in the same vein as Ghostbusters, uh, except for its own sequels. Yeah. Um, And I think that's something else that, that, you know, is really cool and and has lasted the test of time with with the movie.
0: Um, yeah I, I i agree like you said they were basically ghost exterminators right it's extermination business um even you know thinking about it, it's it's been so ingrained uh you know in in uh, in cinema and in all of our uh, lives i guess that you know we you know if you think even the name ghostbusters i you know originally they were going to call it ghost smashers and we think, well, that, you know, I think when I hear Ghost Smashers, that sounds silly. But I, you know, the same, I probably would have, you know, thought the same thing uh, if I had no idea what a Ghostbuster was. You know, what's a Ghostbuster? But it's been ingrained in, in all of us now that, you know, we don't think anything of it. Uh, but you're right. It's just, you know, a Ghostbuster is just basically an, an exterminator. Uh, and they, they are human. Um, but and they did a really good job of you know uh, of showing that humanity in them, but uh, but still being the, I guess the the
1: human superheroes, right? And and one thing I want to clarify, I realize there was a Ghostbusters before this Ghostbusters in in the seventies, but and you you'll have to excuse my ignorance. I don't know a, a lot about that show. Uh, I know a little bit more about the cartoon. But uh, the cartoon version of that show. But uh, one thing I do know is that was it was very different than this iteration of Ghostbusters. Right? It was it was a little more comedy slapstick, comedy based. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't you know the same characters or anything like that. Um, but well, you got you know, the whole uh, series on on uh, video
0: of the original Ghostbusters, don't you? From the 70s? Not the whole
1: thing. I have episodes, <laughs> so that's you know you know a funny story. You know, as a kid who loved Ghostbusters, uh, uh, I I loved the the real Ghostbusters as well. As a kid, the cartoon series. So, my mom uh, thought she was doing something really cool for me when she came home uh, with a VHS tape of uh, Ghostbusters, uh, an animated series, and I think it was in like a, a separate box it wasn't in the original packaging uh i don't i really can't tell you where she got it but i popped it in and it was not the real ghostbusters it was the filmations ghostbusters and to say i was disappointed is the understatement of the century (laughs) i was actually pretty upset i was like is this a prequel i mean what's going on here i don't i don't know who these people are the music's different Uh, There's a monkey for some reason. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But, you know, a lot of people, something I've learned, a lot of people look back on that show pretty favorably. Apparently people liked that show, and it had a a good toy line. Uh, I think I've read uh, that that a lot of collectors have the the toys from that series as well. Um, You know, like I said, you'll have to excuse my ignorance. I don't know a ton about it other than literally just like the two episodes i had on a vhs tape when i was a kid um but when i say that there's nothing like the ghostbusters from 1984 you know obviously it's different the the that first iteration of ghostbusters uh from the 70s you know the similarity is really only in in name only um you know the The 1984 movie is just it it stands on its own and um and and like i said the most amazing thing about that is that movie came out in 1984 and all these years later you know there's still nothing uh you know original that is similar to that kind that movie it was like i said it was like lightning in a bottle it was Mm -hmm. you know they really captured something there and it's never been recreated and and I think that that's really cool, you know. Yeah. Um all right, so let's talk a little bit about the cast of this movie. So, you know, we mentioned Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and, and Harold Ramis. And um you know, obviously ernie Hudson uh played Winston and you had Rick Moranis as Louis Tully and Sigourney Weaver who already had, you know, a Pretty strong start to her acting career uh by that point uh she played dana in the movie um but let's talk about some of the people who didn't make it into this movie and i know that this is something that you and i have discussed before um so originally some names that were supposed to be in this movie were uh, john belushi uh and i believe we can just start there because I believe Dan Aykroyd originally wrote the, the the treatment for this film was originally just he and, uh, John Belushi in the lead roles, uh, similar to, you know, Blues Brothers, um, and then obviously Belushi passed away while Dan Aykroyd was writing the movie, so that never came to fruition. You know, what, what do you think about that? I mean, I know it obviously would have been different, um, we, we both love the Blues Brothers. We love John Belushi, obviously, from Saturday Night Live. He was an incredible talent. But, I mean, how different do you think this movie would have been if it you know was just those two as the Ghostbusters? Uh,
0: I, I, well, I think it would have been wildly different. Um, not to say it would have been bad. Uh, it just wouldn't be what, what we have today, right? Um, right. I, I like uh, John Belushi. Uh, you know, Animal House and, uh, you know, Blues Brothers, again, is one of my uh, another one of my favorite movies. Uh, but it definitely would have been different. He would have brought a different um, aura to the to the whole to the whole film, I believe, uh, because, you know, he different personalities, you know, than than Bill Murray or uh, um, uh it It just would have been completely different, I feel like uh even some of the other characters that uh you know that I've read that um uh, Aykroyd was was uh trying to to uh, incorporate in the movie. I've I've also heard uh Richard Pryor. Yeah. That uh he was wanting him to play a, a you know a Ghostbuster. I think that would have been uh you know again completely different movie than than, than what we've got uh today. Uh you know, all the, the folks that uh that I've read that he was wanting to incorporate are, or huge comedians, which uh, I think that uh, you know they they still use comedians in the in the the one in the final cut you know with uh, Ramus and uh, of course he's not playing a, a comedic role in this one. he's playing a straight man, which I think he found out. Uh, I've read something where he saw that you know he wanted to be uh, the funny one in a lot of different roles, but I think he he saw that uh, he did better as a straight man that he played this one perfectly. Um, so it, it would have been different. Um, not to say it was bad, but we would just been, we would have had, uh, a wildly different end product.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, you sort of mentioned Richard Pryor. I mean, uh, Eddie Murray was originally supposed to play the Venkman character before Bill Murray came on. Um, and you know, Eddie Murray's a funny guy. I mean, I think that... <sighs> When, you really, when I think of Eddie Murray, I think about how he pretty much carried Saturday Night Live through the 80s and how you know he's pretty much the biggest reason why that, that franchise survived uh, oh, that, that decade. Um, so he's obviously a huge talent and funny and a huge movie star. He's been in so many movies, um, so many hilarious movies. But specifically with, with that character of Vinkman, I just, I have a hard time believing you would have ever, even with Belushi or whoever, I, I have a hard time believing you would have ever topped what Bill Murray brought to that role. Yeah. And what he still brings to that role, what he brought to that role in the second movie, what he brought to that role in Afterlife, even, you know, having a small role there. I mean, the way that he plays off that character with his, you know... uh you know his use of subtle comedy. Yeah. Um, you know the way he improvises. Um, you know it's hard to imagine this franchise without him specifically. Now, Dan Aykroyd and in Harold Ramis, especially, uh, it's hard to imagine it without them. But with Bill Murray, the way that he, you know, sort of used his role. Uh, you know, to sort of be the the, the uh, comedic relief, uh, but in a subtle way, not over the top way. It's it's really hard to imagine this ever working as well as it did without him.
0: Yeah. Um, it, again, they they just have uh, different comedic styles. Um, Bill Murray and, and Eddie Murphy. They, you know, I I feel like Eddie Murphy, his brand of comedy, he is star of the show, right? Right. He's, he's going to be loud um, and uh, just uh, kind of in your face and he's going to be, you know, the attention getter. Where like you said, Bill Murray is going to, he's got that subtle comedy, the the sarcasm, uh, the one-liners, uh, you know, uh, it, again, which I, I feel like uh, is similar to Paul Rudd, which made him a perfect choice for Gruberson in Afterlife but uh Bill Murray's brand of comedy I think fits this perfectly within a a I guess a team setting.
1: Right, yeah. And it, what I loved the most about that character specifically and what he brought to uh, the character of Peter was that you're never fully sure if he's taking this seriously or not. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he makes it evident um in the scene with when he first meets um Walter Peck, you know, he, he, he mentions that he has a P, a PhDs in parapsychology and psychology. But when, you know, at the beginning of the movie, when him and Ray are walking into the library, you know, he's talking about, you guys have been investigating everything, you know, what have you actually seen? So it's funny that he has invested his career into parapsychology, but you really don't even know if he believes this stuff. Right, he's a huge uh, skeptic, is the way. He or, comes or off. when he's uh, when he first goes to Dana's apartment, and he's just screwing around for all intents and purposes. You know, when when she asks him, uh, you know, if that uh, that sniffer thing that he's using, if it if it if he's using it correctly, and he's like, I you know, I think so. You know, I mean, that's just <laughs> what he brings to that character. Uh, it's when he's on screen, you're focused on every word that's coming out of his mouth, and that's pretty hard for an actor to do, to to really get you to be glued to them when they're on screen, and yeah, it's 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 really difficult to imagine, even though like you you mentioned Eddie Murray, I mean he's great in his own right, or even you know Richard Pryor, uh, or whoever else, it's it's so difficult, you know. They made this movie in an era where there were a lot of extremely talented comedians who probably could have had a shot at that role. Yeah. But I just don't think anybody else could have done what, what he did, what Bill Murray did. No,
0: I agree. Um, another character that had been wildly different was Louis Tully. You know, yeah. if, with, if John Candy had played in which they were... Uh, that was the first person they were wanting to go uh, to with that role, the way... Uh, Candy was wanting to play that role would have been totally uh, a, a totally different character. Um, yeah,
1: it would have been a little more over the top goofy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I and I don't think that's what this movie was going for was was goofy, right? Right, uh, and
1: uh, for those of you who don't know I mean, John Candy wanted to play the character with a German accent and like a couple of dogs that he always had. Uh, it was just, it was t- totally different from the the lewis Tully character you got from uh rick moranis yeah
0: yeah you know it with uh uh rick moranis's nerdy accountant i mean that was that was just perfect i, I don't yeah. think he you know anybody no one else could have played that role like he did yeah. uh just his his little quip. you know he did have a lot of uh, funny lines uh just his quips for like uh you know maybe i've got a milk bone <laughs> uh, when the when the demon dog was chasing him up against the the restaurant, it was. I mean, he couldn't have played that any, any more perfect.
1: Right, and he, he's he's goofy, but it's a, it's a different. It's less over the top. Yeah. Um, it's it's just different. Um, you know, the continuous running gag about you know his con- he's con- constantly locked out of his own apartment, <laughs> uh, which is you know. F- you know, sort of funny because he is the key master at the end of the film, but he's constantly locked out of his own apartment. Um, you know, when they have the, uh, the, he has the party in his apartment and, uh, and he, um, uh, is talking about, you know, I'm, I'm throwing this whole party as a tax right off. That's why I invited clients instead of friends. I mean, and when he plays uh, the key master, I mean, it's a great switch, right? Because he's still got that goofiness to him, but now he's rattling off like this you know, Sumerian lore, yeah, talking about gozer and all that it's it really it's perfect. and he and that character, even though he's not a ghostbuster, and he's really not one of the leading men in this movie you know him especially as the keymaster, is so synonymous with ghostbusters right mm-hmm. you see that image of him with the you know the the bowl on his head and egon you know questioning him and him you know spouting off all this stuff about you know gozer and uh there there's just he brings a lot to this movie um that yeah probably would have been different had it been john candy and listen it's it's pretty well known that or if you've you know ever uh, watched Ivan Reitman talk about this, um, you know one of the the biggest reasons that John Candy ended up not being in this film as well um, was because he just didn't understand the script. He didn't he didn't really get it uh, yeah. the same way that everybody else was getting it. And I think that that was another uh, bold move on Ivan Reitman's part to sort of go back to the because. Uh, if you uh, f- if you watch uh interviews uh when they storyboarded this movie they did it with John Candy as the Lewis Tully character that's how sure they were that he was going to be in the movie right so it was a pretty big risk letting him walk away and going after somebody else like Rick Moranis but yeah, it worked perfectly. Like I said, he is so synonymous with Ghostbusters. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of people disappointed that he wasn't, you know, in the new one. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, you know, Rick Moranis retired from acting, you know, some 25 years ago. And has really never came back. Um, but, it's yeah, it's hard to imagine that first movie, uh, again, working as well as it did without him specifically playing that character.
0: Yeah. Uh, And, you
1: know, going back to how
0: he, you know, his choices um, of how he portrayed the character of Lewis Tully, just the the nerdy accountant, um, really fit well with when he was uh, possessed by the the demon dog and turned into Vince Clortho, right? that was two opposite types of uh, personalities. I mean, you know, when he's running, when he's already uh, possessed and he's running through the city and he comes up on the horse, Right and he's trying to talk to the horse and the, uh, the horse and carriage. And then the, the driver's like, Hey, you, you know, you talk to me, you know, he growled, uh, Vince growled at him and his eyes turned red. That's, you know, that, uh, that type of personality, would be nothing that, you know, what, um, Lewis Tully would do. Right. I feel like Lewis Tully is a little bit more weaker, uh, more cowardly where Vince is a little bit more stronger. Uh, and he, he pulled both of those uh, personalities off well within the same movie, so it's believable it makes it more believable that he was possessed, and he's a totally different person now
1: yeah yeah and and again he the way he pr- chose to portray uh both the Lewis character and the keymaster character like you said it it's it worked where again, kind of like in afterlife, it could have easily not worked. <laughs> and then you would have huge portions of the movie that um, that just didn't work very well. Um, the character of Dana, you know, I've always found her character interesting because she um, she is this, you know, she's a single uh, woman who obviously is introduced to the Ghostbusters through uh, her apartment and, and, you know, having the, the incident where... You know, the, the eggs start frying themselves on the counter, and she opens her fridge and sees, you know, Zool. Um, I think one of the best things about Ghostbusters is the relationship between her and Peter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because you learn a lot about his character through her. And it's really a testament, I think, to her that she was more of a theater actor, whereas Aykroyd was more of a comedian. And the way that they played off of each other, uh, I think is really a big testament to not just the characters and how they were written, but also the actors that portrayed them. She, um, you know, she, again, she's somebody who is synonymous with Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and she, she played the role extremely well. Again, at this point, she had been in Alien. I'm not sure if the the sequel to Alien had come out yet. Or you, do you know that if it had? I I'm not positive. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if the sequel had come out, but I know she was in Alien uh, at, at this point and s- some other movies as well. I think. But um, so she she was already an established sort of lead character at that point. Um, but I I've always really loved her character in this movie just because again the relationship that they have um and you know her obviously being you know the one who becomes the gatekeeper at the end of the film it sort of gives it grounds the you know the end of the film not just from a we have to save the world but also people we now care about are the gatekeeper and the key master we got to save them as well so uh you know what what did you think about her and, and her character
0: uh Yeah, so I I did look it up. It looks like um, the second Alien came out in uh, 1986, so that would be after Ghostbusters. So, yeah, Alien came out in in 79. Um, But, of course, in my mind, she's always going to be Dana Barrett, right? Uh, I know she's played a lot of of other movies with a lot of success, but she's always going to be Dana Barrett to me. But uh, you're right, the way she played off of Bill Murray – you know with starting out with the annoyance and calling him uh, uh, a game show host you know when they uh, first time when they went back to her apartment uh, and she you know she's just trying to figure out what's going on in her apartment where uh, Vankman uh, is just trying to put the moves on her so and you can tell that he doesn't you know like again still skeptical but uh, and I, I'm sure she can she can kind of tell that because even when the in the interview, uh, back at the firehouse uh, you know uh, they threw out you know different things and she's like well I don't believe in any of those things and Bane's like well I don't either so it's like well then why would you want this person investigating your apartment <laughs> you want somebody that knows what they're talking about uh, but I, I, I agree you know the, the dynamic between the two I really worked well and you saw that relationship blossom a little bit especially outside the uh, symphony hall uh, I feel like is the first point, uh, first time movie where her uh, her feelings start to change uh, for the better uh, for Bankman. Uh
1: and uh, you know it kind of. My goes favorite from part there. of that sequence is when he brings uh, the names uh, Zul and and Gozer and Samaria, and uh, she has to pronounce them because he don't even know how to. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, her 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 friend there, you know. I you don't know if it's uh if it's uh, a boyfriend or friend or what but uh Vagman didn't care he uh he laid it on him like he would anybody else uh said he's uh, you know you, you're still a little pale though <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: i hope you're feeling much better yeah
0: <laughs> but yeah so that dynamic between those two characters was great you really saw uh the relationship uh blossom uh during the movie going from you know I guess, disdain and uh, not liking Vankman to, you know, he, he kind of grew on her, and uh, in the end, uh, they were together. So, and, and same thing with, um, from, uh, from Bill Murray, uh, you know, Vankman to uh, Dana Barrett, right? Uh, he was, uh, his intent was just, he just wanted to be with her, uh, and then at the end, you know, you could really see that, uh, that worry uh, you know, after she had already turned into the demon dog and, you know, after you you, you thought those characters were dead, uh, her and Louis Tully. because uh, 'cause they're you know, they've been uh vaporized and it's you know, rock and statue, uh, you think, well they're dead and you can tell you can see on on Venkman's face, uh, you know, just the the sadness and of course when she uh starts to break out, you know, he's trying to break her out with her and it was it was good to see that uh, that relationship grow throughout the movie.
1: Right, yeah, and and it's uh, it's very interesting uh, as well because you know he's such a playboy and it seems like you know she's not interested at all at first, but she sort of has to at least be halfway interested because uh, you know she he's obviously doing a service for her through uh, the Ghostbusters so. It's interesting to see how he sort of plays, uh, you know, into her into her life, and uh, you know, you can almost tell uh, when they're at the apartment and he sort of throws himself after her that she's she's pushing him out the door almost like you know I'll just deal with the ghost just just go yeah. away you know. <laughs> well, and I think uh, that
0: she's a different type of woman that he you know than from what he's uh, ever went after because you see at the beginning of the movie where he's got the student the two students. Testing ESP with uh, electroshocks, right? Right. Uh, So, I feel like she's a completely uh, different type of personality. Uh, She's she's not a a bimbo, right?
1: Yeah, she's very. uh, You know, it's. I mean, she's a musician uh, first of all, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's established that's how she makes her living. So it's obvious she's obviously a very talented uh, musician. So she's not. I feel like Vinkman goes after the easy, easy girls, and she's not that at all. She's yeah. you know, sort of a, you know, a very smart woman, and uh, and and it's almost like she's a challenge for him. and And it's not in a. Um, I want to make it clear, it's not in like a, you know, he's stalking this woman sort of way. It's obvious that she likes him in some capacity. You know, there's a charm to him. Uh, again, that's something that if they wouldn't have gotten that right, it it wouldn't have worked, but it it did. Um, And, and again, I think you just have to chalk that up, not just to the writing of the characters, but to the actors who who portrayed them. Yeah. And, you know, also, when they brought Sigourney Weaver in, this is on record, you know, Ivan Reitman has said this, they didn't have the ending of the movie yet. They didn't know what it was going to be. They had no idea that there was going to be, you know, they knew that they had a gatekeeper and a key master, but they didn't know that these two people were actually going to turn into the dogs and become those characters. Mm-hmm. That was actually her idea. So as well as, you know, portraying this character, she actually brought some creativity to the story, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, a pretty cool fun fact about her as well. Um... Let's talk a little bit about Dan Aykroyd. And you sort of mentioned this is sort of his thing, Ghostbusters. And he has, uh, you know, it, it's again been well documented that he grew up, and, you know, he's from Canada, and he grew up with a family who believed very heavily in the in the paranormal. I believe his uh, grandfather was someone who read spirits or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so he grew up in this, and he thought it would be f- you know cool to make a comedy like you said uh about uh catching ghosts um now one thing that i wanted to talk about a little bit was the fact that his original story was pretty out there right Mm -hmm. so they were not in new york they were in space and you know there was when we the movie started there was supposed to already be a a huge franchise of ghostbusters they were like policemen everybody every town or every planet had them uh they had a spaceship the proton packs looked completely different the stay puff marshmallow man was still there in his original story but there was also like 50 other giant monsters like the stay puff marshmallow man in that story uh it was wildly different Uh, Ivan Reitman came in and said listen we need to ground this a little bit let's set it in modern day New York and let's make them more like exterminators and then they brought Harold Ramis on board who grounded it even more Mm -hmm. um what's your opinion on sort of where that story started in terms of where he you know where he originally wrote this movie to go to and where it ended up like what's your opinion on sort of you know where it started versus where it ended up at
0: <clears throat> well, so like, like you said, um, he does have affinity uh, for the Paranormal, uh, you know, ghosts and things like that, but also aliens. You know, there's a lot of different documentaries where he, he is uh, a part uh, of those documentaries talk about aliens and things like that. So I think all of that different um, genre, I think he, he has a love for. And it, it sounds like, you know, in that, that first treatment of the story, he was just combining everything you know, all his loves into one. Right. Um, and I think if it, if it in my opinion, uh, of course, who am I? Uh, but if it would have went that way, um, not to say it would have been like a, a goofier comedy or anything like that, it, it, it wouldn't be, um, I don't feel it would have been what we have today as, as far as the, the classic uh, staying power. Like you said, bringing Harold Ramis in to ground it, uh, I think makes it more accessible to the to the general i guess population right but still keeping that spirit of uh spirit of uh, the paranormal in there um i think uh really makes it accessible to to everybody uh and i think was one of the reasons that uh it's a it's a it's still a classic today and still loved by a lot of different people
1: Right, it sounds uh, a lot like what he originally wrote was going to be very much more in the vein of like a Spaceballs yeah. type of movie, which is fine in its own right. I do like that movie, but mm-hmm. it's obviously very different from Ghostbusters, right? When you when you have something like Ghostbusters that is grounded with these real people, uh, you open up your movie to a whole new audience because there's a lot of people who, had you gone with that original treatment, probably wouldn't have had any interest in that movie from the beginning just because it was so out there, you know. And it wasn't going to be in the vein of, like, a Star Wars because Star Wars was obviously a a very serious, you know, space opera, Um, whereas uh, this was, I think, going to be even more comedic uh, than, than what it ended up being. And when you combine that with well number one you know it would have costed well over what it you know the budget was for the movie anyway with all the special effects they would have had to do for that uh but it would have been a little sillier and probably wouldn't have had the charm to it you wouldn't you probably wouldn't have gotten like a bill murray in that movie either you know yeah um so obviously where they ended up um is is perfect um So, uh, which, you know, talking about the special effects, that sort of brings me to what I wanted to talk about next was uh, the effects in this movie, the practical uh, effects specifically. You know, you have uh, the ghost librarian um, at the beginning of the movie. You have uh, Slimer. You have uh, the ghost towards the end of the movie, the one who comes up out of the subway. Uh, the, the skeleton driving the taxi cab. You have um, the terror dogs. You have, Go- uh, well, Gozers. You know, it's, I guess it is an effect, you know, the way the actor is, is in makeup. Um, and you have the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Now, one thing that I think is really cool about this movie is for the most part, how well those effects hold up. Right. Um and sort of give me your opinion on that and, and how important you think that is to the longevity of this movie and why people still, you know, really are uh, sort of being introduced to it and, and why, you know, people still love that part of it.
0: Right. I mean, the the practical effects really give it a some realism, right? Uh, you know, they, they did have effects like the, you know, the the, the stream from the proton packs, obviously.
1: Right. Right. Uh, you know, great Which effects. look, in my opinion, those even look great, even though it's not obviously practical. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, for, that, for
0: that era, they, they looked amazing. You know, there, there were some instances where the, the special effects, well, I'll say there's one instance uh, to me, there was only one, where the, the effects could have been a little bit better, and that's where the, uh, the, the demon dog was chasing Louis Tully out yeah. of the, uh, the apartment for that split second. Uh, you know, it it does look a little bit, um, you know, it is. It's claymation, yeah, basically, yeah. yeah you, and you could tell it, but yeah. everything else, you know, from when he uh, opened the door and there's the demon dog to where it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's caught up with him at the uh, at the restaurant to the proton packs to uh, stay puffed walking through the city. Everything just, I mean, to me looks flawless. The the rest of it looks flawless, and it just it adds that immersion to it that realism that uh, you know, a lot of times even now in, in uh, more modern movies, they use CGI and it just, it it completely breaks that immersion that you can tell it's computer generated. You can tell it's not real where these are real, you know, they're, they're puppets and they're models, but they're real, they're real puppets and models. Right. So it really brings that immersion differently than what a computer generated effect is going to bring because, you know, as resolutions get better and cameras get better and graphics get better, you know, at the time, um, after this movie, when they did start incorporating CGI, uh, at the time it looked great. But now looking at it as that, uh, that technology is advanced, you can definitely tell it's like, Oh, wow, this really looks bad. Uh, right. where, you know, that's attributed to, uh, advancements in technology and, uh, computers and computer speeds, things like that. And graphics, where the practical effects, you can't get any better than that because that's that's a real tangible model. Right. Uh, that's that's something real that they're working with, and I think that's what adds to the longevity. Is it, it you know it, it is a real object that uh, they're interacting with.
1: Right. And the the two instances that I always sort of gush about when when it comes to effects in this in this movie are The Librarian Ghost and Stay Puffed? Mm-hmm. Now, that Librarian Ghost, I will stand by this. I'll die on this hill, is the best-looking ghost in a movie ever. <laughs> I mean, that it looks real. I mean, obviously. The first you know, part or when she turns? <laughs> well, like the when she's just sitting there and right. you have that. Reading that, the book. Yeah, and, and reading the book, that looks spectacular. Oh, yeah. To this day. And I know that they had the actress uh really there dressed up, and they had some sort of effect going over the camera or the film to sort of make it look like that, but that is i mean that you just don't see that kind of stuff anymore right everything's c g i now yeah and so the one thing I wanted to refrain from you know talking about was the 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 ghostbusters reboot, but the one thing I will say is in that movie all the ghosts in the in the 2016 reboot it looked like something out of like the the early 2000s like Scooby-Doo movies mm-hmm. you know it looked like yeah, it was produced I by agree. Nickelodeon or something you know it, it just they it didn't look very good it you know it just didn't look incredibly it didn't have a realism to it to me it looked computer generated and you compare that to this movie which was made decades before that it's really um, it's amazing, and and you know Richard uh, Edlund is the sort of the the head guy for effects on this movie. Now he worked on Star Wars, he worked on Empire Strikes Back, he worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark. He was a huge you know name at the time, um, and they had to create their own special effects team because really at the time the only you know company that existed for that was ILM, and they were working on. Uh, I want to say one of the Indiana Jones movies at the time or, or or some Spielberg movie. So they couldn't do it. So they had to basically create their own effects house for this movie. But the other one I wanted to talk about was stay puffed because you know, that's a guy in a suit Mm -hmm. and and that's cool. And that's not really one I, I wanted to talk about. It was more or less the fact that they recreated that street and, you know, central park and the buildings in miniature form uh it, it, and it had to be the exact scale for him to walk through and you know you you see him stepping on the cars you see the uh you see the 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 water shooting up from the spout which is actually uh sand but it looks so real yeah. uh still to this day and, and you know again they use techniques in that that you just don't see uh in movies anymore and and i think that's that's pretty cool but um, yeah, those two specifically are, are ones that always stand out to me. Yeah, and I, I
0: agree. Like you said, they, they don't use those a lot anymore, and I, I think that's a shame. I, I I personally prefer the practical effects uh, versus the computer-generated ones. Um, I know there's some things that's going to be easier, or sometimes you just have to do with computer-generated, but uh, it, to me, the practical just looks better. Right. Um, and especially for longevity, um, it's just gonna, it's going to hold up better. And they use practical effects in the in Afterlife in the new movie, uh, the same way with you know with the new Star Wars uh, uh, trilogy. They use they went back to uh, practical effects where they were using a lot of CGI in the prequels. You know they went back to the practical effects of the original uh, with the, with that newest trilogy. Uh, and I, to me, they look better um, and you know, that's, that's the most important part. You know, it's, you're trying to create that immersion with these effects and, uh, the practical effects is what, what does it every time for me.
1: Right. You, you've got to keep that, uh, sense of realism and practicality to it that, uh, CGI just doesn't deliver a a lot of the times. Um, but yeah, the effects for this movie for the most part hold up pretty well. Um, so uh, let's talk about the the story of this movie. So for me, uh, and I sort of talked about this earlier, the one thing that really makes this stand out beyond just being some one-off comedy from you know, 35, 40 years ago is the fact that it had a story that was very interesting. So you had... Obviously, they, they, their first customer was Dana, who sort of introduced them to Zul, which led them to discovering about Gozer. And then they discover about, you know, Evo Shandor and the fact that, you know, he built Dana Barrett's apartment out of, uh, you know, selenium. Uh, he was an architect, and he built it as basically uh, a portal that would open this gate to this dimension and bring Gozer out, and she was supposed to bring about the end of the world. Um, and obviously, you had the gatekeeper and the keymaster. I mean, it's out when saying it out loud like that. It sounds like this incredibly insane story, <laughs> but the way they do it, it 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 really pulls you in, yeah. right? You, when you're in the end of the movie, when you're in the third act. You're like, what you know, especially if you've never seen this movie before, you're like, what is going to happen? Yeah. Because <laughs> like, this has been a, this has been a funny movie. There's been a few ghosts. Um, you know, these guys, uh, you know, developed this equipment and, you know, got thrown out of the university and became these ghostbusters. And now, you know, now there's like this Sumerian God, <laughs> you know, coming through this portal. What's going on here? This is, this is insane. But it's such an intriguing story. Um, I've always loved, you know, the Gozer character and how, you know, she came out of the portal and you were like, "What is that thing?" And you don't really know how far her power reaches. And then you've got the whole, you know, choose your choose the form of your destructor. You know, they they initially shoot, you know, their proton packs at her and it does nothing, uh, which leads to. You know, some great comedy, some great lines, Uh, you know, and and I've just always thought the story, uh, which oftentimes oftentimes when this movie is discussed, gets overlooked uh, in favor of the comedy and and the characters. The story is really uh, one of the better ones you'll find out there, especially for uh, the era that it, it came out in. Right.
0: Yeah, because throughout the whole movie there, you know, the ghosts they're catching are just, you know, lack of a better term, just run-of-the-mill ghosts, right? The one at the Slimer at the Sedgwick and, uh, you know, the different ghosts as they go through the montage of, uh, you know, business starts picking up and they're catching all these ghosts. They're just run-of-the-mill ghosts where Gozer is, like you said, uh, a god coming through uh, the portal uh, to this dimension, so Gozer is on a completely different level than what they've been facing so far. Uh, that's why, you know, with, you, you notice that at one point when they're coming up, uh, you know, at the top of the building to, to meet Gozer, um, uh, Ray has a trap and he puts it down. He puts it down there on that, uh, that flat yeah. slab because a trap's not going to, a simple trap <laughs> like that's not going to hold what they're about to face, like they have been using in these other run-of-the-mill ghosts. So this is completely uh, a different uh, entity that they're about to face. Uh, so much for they do have to cross the streams and do what's, uh, you know, would be very bad. Uh, they had to take that chance, and that's the only way that they're going to be able to, I guess, vanquish uh, what they're up against. But like you said, the, the complete storyline of uh, going through all the different ghosts and, and, and building up the business uh, and support throughout the city, and then at the end, here's the, the big bad of, of Gozer, a god coming through, uh, and they're the only ones that's uh, going to be able to stop it. You know, they have the meeting with the mayor, and uh, he tells them, you know, for Peg, you know, get him out of here. You know, the Ghostbusters are the only ones that's going to be able to, to save the day. Uh, so it's it's a great story that, that starts out and just uh, small and and builds up and builds up to that big climactic moment at the end. Uh, where they're the, they're the true heroes, even though they're a little winded when they get to the top of the stairs, uh, but uh, they, they pull it off.
1: Yeah, and and what I always thought was funny about that is, you know, they tell the mayor, you know, or, or Venkman specifically tells the mayor, you know, if we can't stop this thing, you know, you, uh, Lenny, will have saved the lives of millions of voters. Now, they go up on top of that building uh having no clue as to how they're gonna you know stop Gozer, <laughs> right so their their plan is we're gonna shoot at her with these proton packs and if that doesn't work there's really not a plant b and uh <laughs> and and it's so funny because you know like you mentioned you know spengler said i have a very radical idea we'll cross the streams and you know vinkman's like you know excuse me god you said crossing the streams was bad and and it's like you know they didn't have a plan. <laughs> that's yeah, what's funny. I mean, look they're... at
0: look at Vankman. His plan was get her ray.
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> just, it was just we're going to shoot shoot these uh, these proton streams at her, and and if that doesn't work, you know, that's pretty much all we got. <laughs> uh, but then, the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man is what's is what's so funny to me because, obviously it's just a funny gag you know because of you know uh ray thought of something innocent from his childhood something that could could never ever hurt them uh mr stay um one of the funniest lines and i've said this to you before in this movie that often i think gets overlooked is actually spoken by egon when 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 Vinkman says well you know ray's gone bye-bye Egon. what have you got left and he says you know sorry Vinkman." Uh, I'm terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. I mean, it's so funny because he has been the straight man uh, the whole movie. In fact, Harold Ramis actually said he made an active decision never to smile as the character of Egon. You know, he wanted Egon to be a very analytical guy. And and you see that throughout the movie. You know, he's always one step ahead of everybody else, he's always thinking about the science behind what is going on or the analytics. But to see him say that, you know, it really gives you this sense of, oh, they're screwed. You know, they, they don't have any plan here for this. Um, and again, when Stay Puft gets close enough, they just shoot their proton streams because that's all they know how to do. Yeah, that's all they can do. And, and so, again, just the way the story plays out, and I don't know how much of it was improvised, you know, but it, the way it plays out is so, is so perfect. Um, so yeah, I, I love, you know, the story and and the character of Gozer and how, you know, she or, or he, you know, obviously it's just an it, um, how, you know, it comes about and, and plays into the story. Um, we talked about the score in Afterlife, but this is the original. This is Elmer Bernstein. You know, what he brought to this, I can't imagine this movie working at all well i mean it would have worked obviously but not working to the level it did i mean you think about the opening scene with the librarian in the basement and like you mentioned how it starts off and it's so you know it's so it's got this ambiance of like a, a mod like a modern day horror movie of its time right. with with the lighting and the score then you kick into uh the the theme song and then you get the elements of the comedy score But this whole movie goes back and forth between the comedy score and okay, now we're hunting a ghost. Now it's getting a little more of that ambiance to it and that, you know, a little more of that horror science fiction thriller kind of vibe to it. You know, what do you think about, you know, his score and the impact that had on uh, the final film here?
0: There, There were so many facets to that score. Um and I do like, you know, there, you know, there's a difference between a soundtrack and a score. Uh, right. and there were some songs, some great songs uh, in that movie, but that's but the score uh, really sets the tone for every event that happens throughout the movie. There's so many dimensions to the score, you know. You've got the, like you said, in the library, the eeriness, the scariness, you know, that that brings up, uh, you know. Uh, the horror aspect that, you know, adds so much um, to that scene to make it even more scary, just the eeriness of it. To, you know, parts throughout the city where it's just, uh, you know, that main theme with the bouncy piano just, uh, it, it always makes me, it sounds silly, but it makes me think of New York. It's uh, bouncy, yeah. it's it's uh, happy-go-lucky, it's, it, it just, uh, it's a fun uh, little tune. And then at the end when they're driving up to... Uh, to the apartment to to save the day they're playing save the day right um right, save the, the day. alessi and brothers exactly and that's um that that song just gets you pumped up right as they're coming down the the street and they're fixing to go into i guess you know battle with gozer and they've got the police escort and the sirens blaring uh and that song's pumping uh it makes you want to put out a proton proton pack and go save the day with them it just it gets your blood pumping uh, to, you know, when the first, uh, uh, first time they got the, the first call to the Sedgwick, right? And she says, uh, we've got one and hits the bell. And that piano uh, tune plays uh, as they bust out the doors of the firehouse and, and go to the hotel. It just, every piece of music in that movie really um, accentuates what's happening and sets the stage uh, for each part of it, whether it's horror or comedy or uh, action or or just fun uh it it really adds to everything about the movie
1: all right so let's sort of start uh, wrapping up here let's get um give me your your favorite uh what's your favorite sequence of the movie like what oh, wow. when you th- when you think of this movie you know what's the what favorite scene favorite line favorite sequence of events like what what immediately do you think of is like the the thing that stands out to you the most that you love love about about it
0: so my favorite part of the movie is at the Sedgwick there's so yep. many different uh, line funny lines uh, throughout that whole uh, scene uh, from uh, when he when they tell the guy at the elevator uh, you know he asks, what are you supposed to be some kind of a cosmonaut and which is odd that he would say cosmonaut and not astronaut i always thought that was weird um to where you know they're talking in the elevator talking about that you know they've not tried out the equipment so he's gone switch (laughs) his own ray and you hear that thing power up with that loud whine and you know they start backing up against the wall you know like that's going to do anything you know if that thing's going to blow up it's going to take them all out uh to you know they get in the hallway and uh they hear something turn around and blast the packs and it's the cleaning lady. And they just blast the heck out of that, uh, that cleaning cart <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, uh, you know, when they actually catch Slimer and, uh, Egon, you know, first time he used it or a second time he used it, he just can't control it and he stops and he's like, not nice shooting texts." from, uh, <laughs> yep. there's so many great lines, uh, throughout that whole sequence. Uh, that to me is that's, that's my favorite part.
1: Yeah, so you you actually stole mine. So that mine is the <laughs> mine is the exact same. So I've always you know it, it's hilarious to me when you know they establish that they haven't even tested this equipment, and you know he says switch me on, and Egon switches him on, and then immediately and very subtly starts moving out from behind him because he's <laughs> like I don't I have no idea what this is gonna do. And then they shoot at the cleaning lady, and she's like, what are you, what are you doing? And, and uh, you know, they say, sorry, we thought you were somebody else. But my favorite, one of my favorite lines from the whole movie is, you know, they say we should split up. And, you know, Peter says, G- you know, it's a good idea. We'll do more damage that way. <laughs> and it's so quick, and it's so subtle, but it's just so, it, it, that, that one line really sums up his character. Yeah, exactly. They're in a very, very serious situation. They have nuclear accelerators attached to their back. There's a ghost there uh, that people have seen. This guy has studied his whole career for this sort of thing. They've invested all of their resources into this business. And if they don't get this first bust right, they may not have a business anymore. And he could not be more nonchalant about it. It's just like, yeah, we'll, we'll do more damage that way. Or the fact that when Slimer, he sees him and he picks up his radio and, you know, he says, come in, Ray. And, you know, he's like, he's an ugly little spud and he's like, I think he can hear you, Ray. And then Slimer comes at him and it's always been hilarious to me that Vinkman ne- never once considered taking that Neutronal wand and shooting yeah. at the ghost. He just stands there. And he just stands there him. and lets it slime him. Um. Yeah, that whole sequence. It, it really is. The whole Sedgwick sequence, really from the moment that Janine hits that bell and, you know, the music kicks in and they get, you see the Ecto-1 all souped out for the first time. You hear the siren for the first time. That that siren that is so, you know, it's so distinct. familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So distinct and familiar. And the song's playing and they get to the Sedgwick and they bust in the door and, you know, he's like, hey, has anybody seen a ghost? I mean that whole thing is perfect but another one i will i will point out since you sort of mentioned that one uh you know it's probably cheating to say the you know the third act the ending of the movie but really uh you know what i'll just skip that one i'll say another one that i've always loved is the the montage of when they're getting really ramping up into business and you know it's a very it's an 80s montage you don't see those anymore uh with the original theme song playing and you're seeing all these news articles and larry king and you know that's always been really cool to me uh just seeing that montage and it's a perfect way to uh you know show you how their business is growing without taking up a lot of time as well so it contributes to the pacing of the film which is i thought always thought was really cool Um, so I'm not huge on, uh, ratings of films, you know, to me, uh, you know, you either like a film or you don't, you know, I love this film and I know you do too. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, as far as ratings, this would be a movie to, to me that I would have to say is in that very, um. It's in that uh, very rare group of movies that I can honestly say I think this is a ten out of a ten. Yeah, uh, this agree. movie is legendary. This movie, uh, it it while it has aged in some areas, it, it really is a timeless film for the most part. Um, you know, there are kids today who are still getting introduced to this movie into this franchise, and one of the great things about afterlife and what jason reitman did is i think there are more people being introduced to this this movie in this franchise um it's you know from the time at least since i was four years old uh it's been my favorite movie and i can honestly say uh you know now as a grown man it's still my favorite movie of all time uh what what are your your thoughts on that no i agree
0: um there's not one part of the movie that i would have done differently uh you know every bit of it just was was great um the comedy the action the music uh the cinematography uh it, it was everything was just I, I hate to say perfect uh but i would not change anything And it was such a big part of my childhood uh you know that right you saw to, this in theaters right i did not i didn't see it in theaters Okay. Uh, and I and I'll, I'll be honest. I cannot tell you the first time that I saw it. It's been a part of, uh, you know, my childhood and growing up. I couldn't tell you the first time that I saw it. It's just it's always been there. Right. Same. Um, with me. Yeah. And that led to you know the animated series, the real Ghostbusters, of uh, which, as we're talking here here on my desk as a grown man, I've got the uh, the uh, original uh, Egon um, on my desk here that I had when I was a kid. Uh, actually yeah, it was from in the, the garage from the Kenner line yeah yeah uh, from from the 80s uh, that my my mom had saved my toys, so I've, I've got this one I've got Peter I've got the Ecto-1 the firehouse found all that so I've got Egon here on my desk uh, it was just such a, a big part of my childhood uh, and it's it's never left me even you know watching those movies now I, I feel like a kid it takes me back to when I was a kid uh, that nostalgia Um And now with the new movie, uh, and hopefully the, you know, more movies coming out, you know, it, it, it's just going to continue that feeling.
1: Yeah. And I, I agree. This is a movie that, uh, is, it, like I said, it's, it's just got such a timeless quality to it. I know that, you know, my nephew, uh, who's, you know, pretty young, um, he loves this movie. He loves this franchise, uh, and and you know it's it's incredible seeing kids today. I know your kids, you know, like the real Ghostbusters, and I'm mm-hmm. sure at some point they'll watch the original movie uh, and probably and probably like those uh, movies as well. Um, you know, it, it's it's just so rare nowadays to see something like that. This this movie to me is a lot like something like Star Wars or Jurassic Park or E.T., I mean, it's it's just got such a, you know, or Indiana Jones. It's just got such a, a lasting quality to it. It's got a charm right. to it that is very hard to replicate. Uh, again, amazing talent in it, uh, an amazing story. Uh, the people who were in this movie contributed to the writing of this movie, which you don't see a lot, um, and, and so, you know, there's a reason why I think that Ghostbusters is is such a well known property, and and like I said, it's it's one of those rare movies where you have to almost say ten out of ten, yeah. uh, which is what I would consider this movie. Uh, before we get out of here, is there anything else uh, anything else about this movie uh, that you you want to add to the end? No,
0: I mean I I, I think we've said it all. Um, it's it's just a it's a great movie. It's a it's a classic. Uh, I think it's it's going to live on especially with the new movies is going to allow it to live on but even without those uh, you know even without uh, the reboot and afterlife uh, even I think even without Ghostbusters 2 I think uh, the first one would just it, it'll always be a classic
1: yeah absolutely all right guys uh, this has been ticket stubs and cassette tapes uh, on the next episode we're gonna take a look at Ghostbusters 2 we uh, really excited about that and and sort of uh wrapping up this this franchise and you know moving forward like we talked about moving forward and looking forward to uh newer installments and and sort of what this franchise can continue to bring uh it's a it's it's you know it's a franchise that we i know at least me personally i gave up on sequels probably a good decade ago uh so to see now uh, uh you know to see now that there are newer movies coming out or or a new movie out and there could be more that's extremely uh exciting so uh we're looking forward to that i'm andy i'm your host i am uh here with chad uh it's been fun we'll see you guys on the next on the next episode thank you and have a good one